Hello and welcome to another episode of the Strength Syndicate podcast with myself, Shane Story. Uh, we're without Lawrence at the moment, he's somewhere, uh, but I now have a new co-host. Uh, <laughs> so I'm joined by Brian Miner today. So Brian Miner is the author or the kind of main writer and owner of Myo Journal. He is also a very competitive USAPL uh, body, uh, sorry, powerlifter and a professional and natural bodybuilder. Uh, so we have him on the podcast today to kind of discuss about training throughout uh, your, your, tra- your training career and how or what you should be focusing on at different time points across your training career. So um, Brian, would you like to introduce yourself and tell the people at home a little bit about yeah. yourself? Yeah, um, appreciate the intro. I If I can correct one thing i i would say i'm not a highly competitive usapl power lifter um you know I, I haven't done a meet since 2017 actually so it's been some time and i plan to compete in spring of next year so um but yeah it, it's been nuts how much the sport has progressed just in the past five years and um but you know it's always been a type of training that i've enjoyed and you know the progression aspect of it so um but yeah so i i coach um and you know i'm still training hard just haven't been competing lately so um but yeah it you know i've definitely have sort of seen some trends with with lifters um you know early in their careers maybe emphasizing the wrong things or putting too much emphasis on some things and not enough on others and I think the discussion kind of shifts from, you know, should, should we be training to optimize like short-term outcomes, you know, in early in a training career, or should we be, you know, how can we best set ourselves up for, you know, long-term, you know, years down the road, um, being the best lifters we can be. And I think, um, you know, it's very dependent on the individual and, you know, where they're at competitively, but, um, you know, th- those two approaches can differ pretty substantially. So, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to talking about it. So I suppose a lot of the listeners of this podcast are going to be people who are getting into strength sports and, you know, young, there are a lot of younger lift, uh, lifters who listen to the podcast. So when typically like, you know, the younger lifters come to you, whether they, juniors or even people that are just getting into strength sports initially like what are the typical things that you may get them to focus on yeah so again it's very much based off the individual um you know how long they've been training you know somebody that's 19 could have been training since they were you know 13 years old and have you know quite a bit of muscle mass at that point but i guess the general theme of kind of where I'm going with things is, you know, ultimately muscle mass, like in trained populations, like advanced populations um, of powerlifters, you know, muscle mass is going to be the biggest predictor of of strength. It's not to say the most, you know, jacked person is always going to be the strongest because that's certainly not the case because there's, you know, a a degree of specificity that needs to be, um, you know, directed within the training to you know, express that potential. But, um, you know, I think right now, especially with like social media and seeing a lot of these strong lifters, you know, most people are benching, you know, nobody ever posts their accessory movements, you know, it's always like squat, bench or deadlift. And I think if you're getting into the sport and you're looking in, you know, up to some of these, these lifters that, you know, maybe a few years older than you, but having a lot of success, it's easy to want to gravitate to a very like highly specific approach um, you know, high intensity with, you know, a lot of your volume coming from the competition lifts. And it's not to say that that won't be effective. Powerlifting training when I think in the long run, spending those years that where you're really, you know, in a great hormonal environment for, for muscle growth, um, that, you know, you you sort of 
bias that to a larger degree um, and, you know, sort of get those, you know, that low hanging fruit <laughs> when you, when you can, when it's a little bit easier. Um, and then, you know, it's not to say you can't get stronger in the process. You certainly will, but, um, you know, it's sort of, I kind of look at it as like this intensity and volume knob, and, um, you know, maybe backing off the intensity a little bit so you can train with perhaps a little bit more volume to optimize hypertrophy. And then, um, you know, you can still bring intensity down as you peak for meets and everything. But I, I think a lot of people are training, younger lifters are training with higher intensities, maybe too much early on in their careers. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And I suppose as we were talking about before uh, we, we press record, like there is almost like a tendency at times for people to really want to get into that highly specific training. And it takes away from like, you know, training with higher volumes to kind of maybe mm -hmm. reduce hypertrophy. And then because of that, they maybe get too attached to maybe stay in their weight class. It's like, it's not uncommon to see somebody with their Instagram handle being like, you know, whatever 74 kilo you know yeah. and yeah. like when you do look at who is doing really well in powerlifting if you across the weight classes it is almost like they are high classes like mm. if yeah. you're if you're six foot 74 kilo is not going to be the weight class where you like excel the most you know you've got so much uh you got so much more in your frame that you could fill out so maybe over the training career, like, you know, getting up towards those kind of higher weight classes, like 105s, even the 120s may suit you a bit more and trying to fit yourself into a box that you may not necessarily fit into. It's definitely going to like limit you over the long term. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and I think, you know, it's, I said that this is, it's very much based off the individual. And I think this is where, um, you know, looking and sort of being honest with yourself on how competitive you are within a specific weight class early on is, is probably more important. I mean, not that competitiveness should be the only reason people compete, you know, obviously everyone wants to do well, but, um, you know, if, if there's a, a junior lifter who's, you know, scratching to stay at the top of a weight class and, you know, if they, gain an extra kilo of muscle, it might make things very difficult. You know, it's in those cases, you know, if, if it's a matter of, you know, competing at worlds and being at the top of a weight class and contending for a world title versus someone who's, um, you know, just starting out that, you know, just likes having abs and, you know, wants to stay within a class. And so it, it's, it's different. I'm not, to, you know, saying that, these, um, you know, every junior lifter should really emphasize hypertrophy the majority of the time. I think there are exceptions to that. Um, but I think there it's less common, you know, it, it I would sort of, if, if I was coaching an, an athlete, you know, in this position and, and I have, but it's, you know, it's being honest with them and saying, okay, you know, I think long-term you know, right now we're not contending for anything. There's really no reason other than maybe your personal preference um, staying down here and, you know, sort of getting at, you know, what are the reasons for the, you know, your desire to stay down here and just getting, seeing wh where their motivation lies essentially. But, um, you know, if somebody's in it to be the best power lifter they can be, um, get as strong as possible, then, you know, early on focusing more on hypertrophy, I think is going to be a better bet. Um, and it's not to say they should follow like a body, you know, a yeah. bodybuilding program necessarily, but, um, you know, just accommodating the higher volumes of training that are more conducive to that. Yeah. I definitely think like the competitiveness is something that you do have to think about. Like even if I use myself as an example, like compete at 93 at the moment but i'm unlikely to ever be like top three in in my mm -hmm. country and i'm pretty much sitting on the top of the 93 weight class mm -hmm. probably better off if i did grow into 105s but i can't imagine myself ever being on the top of the 105 weight class either it'd be 
I, I aesthetically I wouldn't like how that looks and I don't think even if I went up to that class I would be as competitive as I could there so I'd fall into that category of the person who'd be like well is it really kind of worth is the juice worth the squeeze essentially and yeah yeah if you're not kind of competing for maybe the top like if you're not competing for podium you really do have to kind of reassess that you know mm-hmm. and kind of be like ah, am I happy enough with kind of making some pbs on these lifts over time or do I really want to kind of push my actual capabilities towards being really competitive Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in your case, and I'm, I'm in a similar boat, actually, um, you know, normally compete at 93 and, had, you know, I'm, I'm not contending for a, a title, you know, on a national or world level by any means, but, um, you know, could I increase my total going up to 105s and competing there? Yeah, probably. But if you've been training for a while and you're sort of out of that that window of time where, you know, muscle growth is going to happen, you know, fairly predictably, um, you know, at that point, I think preference in turn and sort of considering the, you know, where you feel best, you know, like you, yeah. if you like the way you look at 93 and, and that's, you know, I, if I was only concerned with my total, I wouldn't consider you know doing 93s again, but I, I would rather walk around, um, and I'm actually, I'm above 93 right now, but I would rather walk around competing as a 93 than, you know, trying to work my way up to fill out the 105s, you know? And so, um, I think just training age plays a role in sort of what those considerations should be. Um, you know, your genetic capabilities for, for strength are going to play a role there. And so, um, you know, there's no, right answer for everyone um it's it's definitely going to be dependent on a lot of variables but i think just knowing kind of the the potential you know cost associated with each decision potentially both in the short and long term i I just wish i'd see more people you know examine that before sort of going down and putting all their chips sort of in one direction Mm. and then as well like i mean there's always the the health consideration as well when you are kind of driving up weight classes like if you are pushing like well past what your frame may be able to handle Mm -hmm. like you know there's obviously going to be you may get strength with that but there's obviously going to be some kind of health consequences come along with that yeah yeah (laughs) sky high blood pressure and uh, like resting heart rate so yeah yeah in that case your your total is secondary yes yeah yeah of course i mean like you know uh, as Dom Mazzetti says, like, uh, live large, lift large, leave a giant coffin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so then kind of like moving on from like when you're in the kind of early phases of your kind of lifting career and like when you've gotten to the point of essentially kind of maximizing the kind of muscular outcomes that you will get, like, I mean, you're never really going to get to that point. Like now if, it'd be great if we could, um, but you're going to be within maybe like 20 percent of what you could potentially gain over your entire lifespan what do you think like should the focus more so shift to then yeah that's a good question um and i think you know based off of you know the recommendation maybe to emphasize hypertrophy a bit more for a lot of people early on people may assume like okay well now you know let's let's focus more on the skill acquisition and kind of the neurological side of adaptations, um, you know, and maximizing strength there, like expressing the strength that our muscle mass can accommodate, you know? So, um, and there's some truth to that. I mean, I think if we're looking like in the short term, then yeah, you're, you're going to get stronger with a more specific approach once you're a bit more trained and have more muscle mass. But I think across a career, there's still like people run hypertrophy blocks when they're, you know, more advanced, they'll still run them. And it's not necessarily because that's like where their highest return on investment is at that given point in time. But I think a lot of times it, and they may actually think that and and for, you know, some people perhaps it is, but, you know, I, I would ask like, what's the alternative? Like you, are you just, you've already been training a while 
you you have some aches and pains like are you just gonna you can't just train at high intensities year round you know so I think those hypertrophy blocks in a sense serve a role you know both in maintaining and you know continuing to gain small amounts of muscle mass but also just mitigating um you know discomfort joint discomfort i mean anybody who's been training a long period of time at high intensities like you, you just get beat up a little bit more easily so um so i think it, it the the role of it's more of it serves an additional role as you as you progress and get older um and I think just avoiding like burnout, like just adding some variety to keep yourself in the gym on a consistent basis. I mean, that's another consideration. And, you know, for a lot of younger lifters, you know, hearing this, they, they may think like, okay, well, that's not going to be me. And, you know, it, it may not, but, um, you know, training, like you can't train highly specific all year round for your entire training career. Like it's, it's just not going to work out. Um, and so, yeah, I think still including some of those hypertrophy blocks, um, and maybe you start including some more, you know, a little bit more high intensity work within those, like you keep enough in place. So you're still, you know, taking steps forward on that front. Um, but like I, I said, it's, it's just sort of turning those knobs a little bit. It's like, okay, let's maybe have a bit more high intensity work in the volume phases, but outside of like the comp lifts, maybe some top sets each week, maybe you're doing more, you know, accessory volume than you normally would and giving your body a break from, you know, those specific patterns. And so, um, but yeah, I think the, the, kind of the ratios between like volume and intensity, like volume blocks and intensity blocks may not change as much, but I think the um, kind of the purpose of those volume blocks starts to shift as you get deeper into a training career. Mm. Yeah, I suppose you touched on some good stuff there. And like one of the main things of keeping yourself training over the long term is keeping training interesting. Like, you know, there's only so there's only so much enjoyment you can get from doing like your competition lifts mm -hmm. for like never mind years but like months yeah um, yeah decades <laughs> and as well like one thing that really keeps training enjoyable is like you know the process of like chasing pbs as well mm -hmm. like as you get more advanced the pbs on your lifts are going to get far and few between like it might mm -hmm. be every couple of months or like you know even a few times a year so picking different movements like you know getting good at them in your maybe less specific box in those kind of hypertrophy blocks you know maybe focus on on get stronger overhead press or like how many pull-ups kind of do you know that type of stuff definitely will keep one interested uh, as, well, mm -hmm. as well as like you know reduce the chance of the overuse injuries that powerlifters are very inclined to pick up on yep. you know getting the lower back niggle the elbows the shoulders you know, strengthening other body parts and kind of paying more attention to the whole body as opposed to just moving in like three different moving patterns is a really important for keeping healthy. Yeah. And I, I think the enjoyment factor, especially, you know, I think with the, the younger um, lifters that are, you know, in love with the sport, it, it might be something they they're less inclined to put as much stock into because it's like, okay, I'm loving this right now. You know, I, I'll do whatever it takes to optimize, you know, strength in the long run, but you know, adherence is like the most predictive variable for long-term strength, you know, and, and development, um, you know, muscular development. And, um, you know, you're right. Like changing things up, keeps things fresh. Um, and you're, motivated to continue to to get in there and I think that's that's something that you know I've appreciated more um you know as I've gotten older and I think we'll you know continue in that direction is just making sure that I'm enjoying the training that I'm doing most of the time I mean there's there's going to be days that you know you you don't want to do the big three but it's the right thing to do on that given you know day you know within your program and so um, so yeah, I, I, I think 
it's hard, like in this evidence-based community, I think a lot of people look at, they sort of ignore the other two, you know, portions of the evidence-based, um, like the, the three components of it, like they, they have this hyper-focus on, okay, what is, what does science say is going to optimize things in, you know, a given amount of time, but you know, the coaches experience as a coach, um, you know, I've worked with lifters with, you know, overuse injuries and, you know, it's helped shape the way that I coach now. And so, you know, it's, it's making compromises like, okay, maybe this isn't going to bring up your squat, like in eight weeks, as much as if we went hyper-specific, but you know, there's chances you may get banged up if we do that, you know? And so it, it's not looking at things in a vacuum. Um, you know, this three-pronged approach, um, you know, considering their preferences, you know, the adherence side, longevity, you know, what the coach has sort of seen across their career, and then meshing that with what, you know, literature is, is guiding us um, to do. And I mean, a lot of these studies, like when we look at research studies, I mean, they're, very short term, like when you consider something across an entire training career, like even, you know, a 16 week training study, which is, you know, fairly long um, for a study. I mean, that that's still, you know, just less than a percentage of, you know, your entire training career, you know, if you're in this for the long haul. So, um, so I think that those parts of the you know, kind of blended evidence-based approach, like evidence-based isn't strictly research. And so, um, and I think that's something that gets overlooked, you know, the, the research coming out about, you know, volume, um, you know, that's been a big discussion over the past, you know, five, 10 years, you know, just appreciating the benefits of more volume. Um, but then people sort of take that and then they go to the extreme um, and sort of ignore, they get burned out, they get beat up. And, like, yeah, they, they may see some accelerated progress up to that point, but is that really what matters long-term? And so then, um, you know, that kind of goes back to the, the conversation of being honest with ourselves and, you know, or having a coach help me, you know, make things a bit easier to see, you know, where you stand at a given point in time in terms of competitiveness. Um, because I do think like there, there are times where, you know, I've, have trained a junior lifter with a very highly specific approach that I wouldn't be training them that way unless they were, you know, if they weren't at the level that they were competitively. And so, um, so yeah, ultimately it's, it's just very, for the most part, I think most people kind of follow, should emphasize development early on and then maybe introduce a little bit more high intensity work, but still run volume blocks um later in a training career but there's going to be obvious exceptions to that based off of you know that lifters development and talent level so um so yeah kind of repeated myself a few times there but hopefully yeah hopefully that makes sense it's okay um but but yeah like as well like as we get older you know we're gonna have other stressors that come into our life that are not necessarily like lifting won't be the center of our universe which it once was like you know when when we are younger we don't have much life commitments the gym and all of this stuff can take up most of our time whereas you know as you do you get older like your father am i right yeah yeah so like, you know, obviously when your kids came into your life you know i'm sure your lifting changed dramatically yeah uh, and how you approach <laughs> yeah. that, that kind of stuff so yeah yeah i'll go ahead Oh no, so I was just gonna say so like they they're also things we have to factor in when we think about all right. Well, we know if we want to make our best like gains over the long term, we have to be lifting for a very long time. How do we navigate all these things that will probably inevitably come up in mm -hmm. life? Um I don't know if you uh seen the recent paper on the minimum effective dose for one RM training. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So we, we had him on the podcast on the last one um, mm -hmm. so like you know just even approaches like that are fantastic things that people implement in over the course of their training career that allow mm -hmm. them to continue to lifting rather than just saying okay times are getting hard now 
I'm going to stop training and pick it back up. And you know yourself, once you stop, it's really hard to get back going. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point is the, the time aspect is more, you know, you have larger priorities in life. And, you know, the minimum effective dose, you know, for training, like if you're trying to hang on to, you know, these, these adaptations, like strength, strength in and of itself isn't an adaptation, you know, it's the expression of multiple adaptations at the physiological level. So, you know, if you're trying to just maintain that expression of strength and, you know, move that needle forward, yeah, it doesn't take um, that much. I think for a lot of people, they have a hard time you know, being in that mentality of like, I'm doing the minimum to get by, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like the minimum effective dose, like anybody who's motivated would prefer to be doing more than the minimum effective dose. There's, there's absolutely a time and place for that. Um, And I think that's, you know, it's, it's great research to show, you know, there's the, you know, maintaining strength and you know, really optimizing strength, there's, there can be a pretty large disparity in the amount of workload that, that goes into that. And um, I mean, that's a good, that's good news, you know, that that's good to know, because, you know, you won't always have time to spend, you know, three hours in the gym to, to do, you know, three movements, you know, <laughs> like you see a lot of power lifters. And um, what I was going to mention is, you know, as I've, um, you know, this wasn't really necessarily intentional, but I noticed like once I had kids and then, you know, once we had our second child, it was like my training naturally sort of gravitated more towards the bodybuilding side of things because those sessions just naturally are a little bit briefer. You know, it's like, you're, you're not, you feel the sense of accomplishment that you get out of spending an hour in the gym doing that versus like, okay, I did four sets of squats, you know, in one hour (laughs) and that's it. So it's like, at that point you have to consider what, am am I better off optimizing, trying to do the minimum effective for, for strength, um, and, you know, focusing on that or maybe focusing a little bit more on the developmental side of things, even if progress isn't going to come at a quick rate, but, you know, I'm able to get more productive work in you know so um so i think that's another consideration is just deciding where you're like just time management in in you know young young people and i was you know the the epitome of this is you know just training in my early 20s was i mean that that was a big priority for me i mean it's still a priority but it's not like that that was my main thing, you know, and like, I could, I had the time to, to dump into that. And, um, you know, there, there's people that are older that, you know, still have that. And I'm not, you know, saying that's a bad thing, but, um, you know, with a family, you know, a job and like your, your time had, it becomes more scarce. And so you have to be more strategic with how you manage that. Um, whereas, you know, when you're young, you can, you know, throw 10 darts at the board. And if three of them land, you know, you're good. You can just kind of take like a shotgun approach in a sense. Whereas, you know, you you really have to refine that to get the biggest return on your investment when you're a bit older. Um, So yeah, yeah. I think that the, the research, um, what was, what was the, that author's name? Uh, PAC is his, uh, is his acronym. Uh, Andrulakis Karakakis. It's a great name. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, like that was, you know, extremely valuable. And this is where like science, it's like, it's a good, the takeaway here, you know, for me would be we can, you know, if you're short on time and you're trying to maintain your strength, if that's your, you know, main priority is maintaining strength in the short term, um, or even, you know, over the long term. I mean, eventually you're going to want to do enough volume. So you, maintain muscle mass um because eventually you know if you start to atrophy over a long period of time just doing you know the minimum effective for strength which 
you know, may or may not be the minimum effective for holding on to size, you know, it's going to be based on the individual, but, um, you know, that, that certainly, like, you, you could get in and get out and still have strength be, uh, you know, maintaining strength be a big focus. And I think the other thing, um, just to relay some of my, my experience from um, being very busy with, you know, parenthood and everything is when our first child was born, you know, I, I remember, I mean, a newborn, it's like, it's, it's a gauntlet for like the first few weeks, you know, it's like, it's, it's a, a shock. Um, and so like, I don't think I, I think I went out and I, I had a gym at the time, like it was in, in my garage. And I remember training, like I was just so exhausted from, you know, lack of sleep. And I mean, for the most, I think I took about three weeks essentially completely off from the gym. I think I started a couple sessions out there and I'm just like, I have nothing to give right now. Like this is, um, and I remember being like a little bit discouraged by it at the time, like this, like, I don't, you know, want to have to, you know, I don't want to lose all my gains and, you know, this is going to be difficult, but it's once you kind of go through that process and realize how quickly things come back and you start to like those time, the time off when you're forced to take it is it's less mentally invasive than it, or going on a vacation. You know, people that go on vacations, like I can't, you know, the gym at the hotel, they don't have a gym there, you know, or yeah. at the resort and they like, you shouldn't let that bother you or you don't need to. Um, because, you know, unless you're in the process of trying to peak for a competition, you know, if you're in the middle of your off season, it's, like it, you're going to be totally fine. And, you know, there's certainly, um, you know, plenty of evidence now to support, you know, these deloading periods um, or detraining periods, even, you know, the rate of progress once you get back is, is pretty accelerated. And so, um, you know, that I think gives a lot, it gave me a lot of peace of mind because once I got back in the gym, it was, I think like a month later, I PR'd on my deadlift, you know? So it was, um, it was a good experience. Like at the time it was discouraging, but, um, it didn't need to be. Yeah. And I suppose one question I was, I was also going to ask you was, um, like, do you find when you were, obviously you transitioned from paradigm to bodybuilding and then back again? So like, yeah. how, how did you kind of find the transition, like at either end of, of that kind of, part like were you still incorporating like the big three lifts during bodybuilding prep did you take them out at any point and then when you got back to doing them like did you notice like there was any kind of huge differences or how long did it take you maybe to get back to a uh, level of strength that you're kind of happy with yeah that's that's a really good question um so i i started out the first powerlifting meet i did was um, right at the beginning of like my second contest prep ever, like in 2011. Um, and for that one, you know, we, it was pretty early on in the prep. And so it was kind of like finishing like the first month of my contest prep was sort of me peaking for this meet. And then I focused more on kind of the bodybuilding side of things. Um, and then in that off season, I focused pretty heavily on powerlifting um, and at the time, you know, my, my stance has changed, you know, pretty significantly since then, but at the time there were a lot of people like the, the dual sport, um, athletes were, you know, guys like Lane Norton, you know, he had had a, I think maybe 2010, I want to say was maybe his last prep, but, um, you know, I think before that and after that he was powerlifting and, um, you know, sort of the message of, you know, getting stronger drives muscle growth, which, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily like that, that can go down the rabbit hole of like yeah. discussing progressive overload, but um, like, it, it's not like a one-to-one -one ratio, you know, it's like you're, you're trying, you get stronger because you're keeping pace with, you know, you, you need to add load to the bar to keep pace with adaptation. So you continue to, you know, apply an adequate stimulus, but um but seeing that, like at the time, it was like, okay, if you want to get bigger, getting stronger. And there was sort of that, 
you know, dogma around, you know, the big three lifts, like, you know, deadlifts will build your back and posterior chain and, you know, squats are the best movement for your legs. And, and so I think a lot of people, like we've come a long way since then. And it, I mean, it's been, you know, 10 years, like it's, um, like the sort of the stance on that has changed. And there's certainly a lot of people that still kind of have those, um, you know, they assume there's something inherently special about those lifts, you know, cause they train, you know, like, yeah, you may have like a lot of stabilizing muscles, in, you know, when you're doing these heavy compound lifts, but it's not effect, you know, efficiently training them for hypertrophy, you know, and they can be used as hypertrophy movements, but for most, I mean, for people that are, unless someone's like built very well to squat and, you know, they're, you know, they don't have like a lot of forward lean in their squat. Like say they have a very like quad dominant squat, good ankle mobility. Um, you know, their limb lengths are accommodating for, you know, a pretty efficient, like quad dominant squat like that, that can be a, it can be a good tool there, but for a lot of other people, you know, a squat is, you're not going to get the biggest return on your investment for hypertrophy doing, you know, and building your program around the big three. Um, but with that said, it goes back to the enjoyment side of things. And for me, like I've even now, like that I recognize like, okay, there's probably, a, if I'm trying to optimize hypertrophy, um, you know, I'm looking at things in a vacuum, I would pick different movements. You know, I may never, for me, like I may never, there'd be no reason for me to low bar squat ever, you know? And so, but I still have that interest in strength and I still, you know, have aspirations of competing. And I, you know, most importantly, I enjoy those movements and, mm -hmm. um, you know, it keeps me coming back. And so that's, that's why they're in place. But I think there's misconceptions still, um, with some people that like, these are the movements that are gonna create the biggest, you know, amount, the largest amount of hypertrophy and that's why you should do them. And that's, that's not the case. Like there's a lot of reasons why that, you know, there's, there's probably more reasons why you shouldn't do them than there yeah. is that you should, you know, if your if your goal is hypertrophy. Um, and a lot of that just comes down to individual mechanics, but um, so yeah, that's, like I've, I've left them in, but the reason has been more out of enjoyment now than it is like, okay, I think this is optimal for, for both, you know? And, um, you know, at the end of the day too, like you'll, you'll still see lifters that are very, um, you know, very developed, like, you know, like a, a Russ or he, you know, he's uses, you know, his, um, you know, he does a lot of squatting, you know, it's like, he's, I think that's like the main, you know, squat centric movement that he's doing probably year round. And, you know, I, I guess I don't know that for a fact, but it seems like what he's posting is, is always, you know, the big three. Um, and I'm sure he's doing other stuff, but, um, you know, he's getting a lot out of that movement from a developmental standpoint too. And not everybody's going to, to be like that, but, and it's also not to say that you won't grow muscle doing that either. You know, I think people think, okay, if it's not optimal, then it's useless. And, and that's sort of something that I'm seeing now. Um, in like the past couple of years, there seems to be an increased appreciation for the importance of exercise selection, especially with hypertrophy. Um, and I, I was just talking to um, Alberto Nunez and, and Cassim Hansen about this last week. Um, and you know, we, there's sort of, and this kind of goes back to the discussion on volume, like sets per muscle group um, and sort of the way that people are conceptualizing volume there, which is, there's nothing, I guess, wrong with that. Um, but I think sometimes people as coaches and, you know, I've done this in the past too. I've probably given too much like autonomy to the athlete in picking their own exercises um, and sometimes, you know, they pick exercises that probably aren't well suited for them, you know, like a row of choice, you know, for, for a bodybuilder, it's like, okay, that's probably not the optimal way to do things. They may pick 
what's optimal and execute it optimally for you know that given goal. But there is a a greater appreciation now for exercise selection and you know getting the most out of the work we're putting in. Um, but I think within that discussion, sometimes people view it as, okay, if this isn't optimal or if you're not doing a, executing it in a way that's, you know, specifically biasing this region, then it's not worth doing. And, and that's not yeah. the case either. Like you're still going to get, you know, a, look at anybody and, you know, any natural individual who's been training for a decade, like even if they're, you know, they have, so if they have some semblance of control and technique, they're going to have some muscle mass, you know, and it's like, they, they may not be doing things 100% optimally from a biomechanical perspective. And I'm not saying like, this is um, like, an, it's an excuse to just be sloppy with technique, because I think there's certainly, you know, that there's a number of reasons why you would want to, you know, optimize, um, you know, your execution. But I think some movements now are sort of getting discarded because they may not be 100% optimal for the, yeah. you know, from a biomechanical perspective. Um, but they're also on that line where it's not really detrimental in terms of longevity for the person and they may enjoy it. And so I think that the enjoyment side, it, it doesn't get enough love in, in the discussion, in my opinion. Um, you know, if somebody, you know, if, if somebody has that mindset like okay i need to squat to get big legs and they sort of have that you know old school hardcore mentality with you know i need to get under the bar and do bent over rows and deadlifts and squat and they're excited to do it and then you tell them like no you should do like rdls or you know find a hack squat like equipment availability could be an issue too for yeah. these people so um so i think sometimes people what i've noticed sort of get paralyzed with um trying to optimize something to the to the point where there's not a lot of quality work that's getting done for a sustained amount of time um because they're second guessing what they're doing and and it's a balance like there i there's both sides of that coin are important um you know being able to you know enjoy the training um but also you know knowing that what you're doing is you know, it's steering you down the right path um, mm. and not being reckless. Obviously that's important. So, yeah, I definitely think the, the exercise selection, like focus of late is definitely something that I've kind of changed my mind on a fair bit as well, because yeah, I suppose like, you know, you know even with like Eric's uh, pyramid and like, like exercise selection would be up towards it relatively close to the top there um so like with that you could like disregard it to in a, in a sense or like you know if you're looking at a program like you know say for a powerlifter and you brought up like rows there and say like okay so you have barbell rows in here whatever three days two or three days per, per week but you're also deadlifting x amount of times per week and you're also doing your low bar squats x amount of time per week is this the most is this going to be the best exercise for you to be having in that program like it's a lot of lower back involvement, having to stabilize mm -hmm. that position. Are you even going to be training the areas that you want to be training as efficiently as you could? You know, I uh, think like the stuff with like chest supported rows, like the chest support T-bar rows, like even just single arm rows could potentially be better options in that case. That's just kind of one example. Um, but then as well, as you said there, enjoyment, also very important. Like I do like doing barbell rows myself, even though I may not recognize it may not always be the most optimal thing for me to do. And I might do them with a little bit of body language as well. Again, may not necessarily be optimal, but I may like doing it, you know? So there's definitely those kind of trade-offs within the mm -hmm. program. But yeah, I definitely say in regards to like accessory movements in the program in general, there should be some kind of logical thought process as to why each thing is where as opposed to being okay you're doing your big tree and now the rest is just kind of like a free-for-all which can happen at times like you know one yeah. thing you're talking about earlier was you know there may not be any kind of like focus dedicated towards those other lifts 
you know, and you just see them kind of tacked on to the end of the workout, like, you know, no, uh, no degree of control to them, just flinging around weights and, you know, just thinking that that's going to drive any kind of benefit. Whereas mm-hmm. like, you know, if you're looking to get the kind of adaptations that you want, they have to be also focused on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, at the base of that pyramid is adherence and I, yeah, like, will agree with that forever, you know, but what I have noticed sort of change for me personally and sort of how I view things is taking a more like bottom up approach to like, if you, if you walk into the gym, like, and you see like the bros doing this all the time, them and their training partner, you know, they're, they're taking sort of a bottom up approach. It's like, okay, we're hitting chest today. What movement are we wanting? Like, like the first thing that they decide is what exercise they're doing, you know? Um, and I'm not saying they're doing things optimally by any means, but, um, but when we go into the gym, like the first thing you're going to do is pick the exercise, um, or, and then, you know, pick, okay, what intensity is this going to be at now? How much volume am I going to be doing? And, that's one thing that, you know, I think the, the intensity and the volume are going to be oftentimes heavily influenced by the exercise selection Mm -hmm. and the exercise selection is, is driving a lot of that. Like if you're, if it's a very efficient movement and, you know, we're kind of talking about hypertrophy here, but you know, if if it's an efficient movement where you can get a lot out of maybe a bit less, um, you know, rather than throwing, you know, it just is a example, like rather than doing, you know, six sets or five sets and really only it being, you know, quote unquote, like three quality sets worth of stuff, you know, um, like, could you, could you only do three sets and get the same outcome Mm. and save time and potential wear and tear if it's a more directed, you know, more biomechanically, um, you know, efficient movement for, for that muscle group that you're targeting. And so like that, that's going to dictate your set volume, um, or influence it anyway. Um, the intensity, you know, if I say like a, um, you know, a vertical press of choice and someone is, you know, a strong overhead presser and they're doing, um, you know, standing overhead, and versus someone who's like in a machine, like you, you could probably handle like the, the imposed stress systemically is probably going to be less with the machine mm-hmm. than it is, um, you know, doing a, you know, standing, you know, movement that's, you know, has a degree of axial loading, you know? So I, I think that that's where I sort of shifted in the past couple of years is just a more deliberate attention to exercise selection, um, with, with myself and, you know, with athletes and there's a degree of trust. Like, you, you know, some athletes are very in tune with what they're doing. Like a lot of bodybuilders, especially like I I coach bodybuilders too. And they, they tend to be more, um, they, they put more thought into exercise selection when giving the option, I think, than a lot of powerlifters do on average when it, like when it comes to these accessory movements, Whereas powerlifters, it's like they do their big three. And then like, if they do their accessories at all, it's like this uninspired, like whatever machines available, you know, type of thing. And so, um, so I, I, I think the, you know, where the discussion seems to sort of be going with this, um, sort of revived importance of exercise selection And, you know, I, I I like that. Like, I think that's important. I think it's going to yield the best return, but at the same time, like adherence is still going to be the biggest factor for, for long-term. And I, I, you know, I have Cassim Hansen with N1, like he's, he's done a great job, um, in my opinion, like getting that sort of changing some of that, um, the way people sort of view it. exercise selection less is this afterthought and more is like, okay, this is your initial priority. You know, now let's focus on these other variables. Um, because it, it makes sense to me. Um, but 
you know, you can give people autonomy and as long as, you know, they're still doing, you know, adequate enough technique, there's still over a long period of time, if they're enjoying it, they're going to make progress. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think the, um, a lot of power lifters could especially be a little bit more deliberate in, um, you know, putting the same attention to detail into their accessories, which is most power lifters don't like, I'll, I'll say that it seems, you know, especially like the younger lifters that are in these more highly specific, um, or may think like, okay, this is what's getting me stronger in the short term. Like, let's put all of our eggs in this basket. Um, you know, I, I, I wish more power lifters would post their accessory lifts, I think is, is the sort of the takeaway there and yeah, start absolutely. to start to spread the, um, you know, make accessories cool again. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was actually going to take a video of my calf raises today, but I don't know how much traction that would get. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's probably, yeah. Isolation movement is, is uh, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> almost solely in place for development, right? Yeah. But in calves, I mean, there, I guess there is some degree of, I mean, calf strength in the bottom of a squat <laughs> but, but it's you know that that won't be a limiting factor for most people the, the only the only thing that big calves limit is getting your knee sleeves on <laughs> right that's right um so, yeah uh, you don't want to train you don't want to train to the point where you have to go up a knee sleeve yeah yeah uh, size and then compromise the as compression as possible. <laughs> um brilliant um brian i understand you are um a busy man so Thank you very much for jumping on the podcast with me today. Is there any kind of closing thoughts or anything that you want to uh, finish off with? For um, I mean, I think the, the big takeaway, you know, when it comes to training across a career is I think the tendency early on is to look at and chase what's optimal in the short term and sort of, make the long-term an afterthought. Um, and there may be a time and place for that, but I would just encourage more young lifters to, you know, consider, you know, when, the, when they're designing their training, you know, okay, ask yourself the question, am I trying to optimize things in the short term? Like, am I peaking for a meet? Or am I trying to, you know, maintain proficiency and drive up development for, you know, making myself the best powerlifter a decade from now and, you know, exhausting my potential across a career rather than just, you know, the next six months. And I think that's a question worth asking. Um, and it's not going to be the same answer for everybody. So um, I guess the takeaway is, you know, context is something that this industry lacks <laughs> in applying, I think, in many cases. But um, you know, apply context to your situation and be sure you're asking those questions. And that's about it. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you for having me on. What I'll get you to do is just tell people at home or wherever they are, <laughs> where, where they can find you. Um, I'm on Instagram at BD Minor and then um, website myojournal.com. You can reach me through either of those. Perfect. I'll uh, link your details in the description so yeah uh thank you very much brian um thank you may have you on again in the very very future uh so you get some more guests on as well <laughs> uh so yeah thank you very much and uh hope you enjoyed the podcast use listen at home if you did enjoy it make sure to like it share it uh, subscribe tell a friend about it and yeah i'll catch you in the next one